Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the different ways that you bless us. Father, we are constantly reminded that we are blessed beyond anything that we could ever imagine and well beyond anything that we deserve in any way. And Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for your love that motivates those blessings for us. And Father, we most of all thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that he made on our behalf so that we can stand before you as redeemed people, holy in your sight. And Father, we know that we could not do that on our own, that only through Jesus is that possible, and we thank you for that. And Father, help us to grasp how wonderful that blessing is, and help us to grasp how great it is to be children of yours. And Father, help us to also grasp the importance for us to live as children of yours, to to shine your light into the world around us so others will be attracted to your light, so they too will come into life in your light and in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray all this through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we are nearing the end of this sermon series, and I want to let you know about what's going on in the next couple of weeks during our worship time. Next Sunday, our worship will center around Thanksgiving, and it will center around our communion service together. So next week, as we prepare to eat the Lord's Supper together, we'll focus on what God has done for us through our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. So next week, we'll give thanks to God. We'll do it through songs, and we'll do it through prayer. We'll thank him for bringing us out of darkness and into his light. We'll thank him for finding us when we were lost and giving us a path and a direction. We'll thank him for setting us free when we were trapped. And we will thank him for giving us life when we were dead in our sins. And then the Sunday after that, the first Sunday in December, we'll wrap up this series by looking ahead with great anticipation. Great anticipation to God's glorious light that awaits his children for eternity. So please plan on being here for the next couple of Sundays. And over the past several weeks, we've covered a lot of ground in God's story. And we've repeatedly seen that our God is a God who rescues. And we've also repeatedly seen that we are people who are desperately in need of rescue. Last week, we moved ahead in God's story, and we were wondering what life was going to be like for those who were living after the climax of God's story, for those who were living after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was exciting for us to see the conversion of Jesus' apostles. We saw that they were emboldened by Jesus' resurrection, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. We saw that they were transformed from men of fear to men of courage. And they were transformed from men who were filled with doubt to men who were filled with faith. And we saw these transformed apostles then lead a transformed church, a transformed new community in Jerusalem. And it was a bold resurrection community. It was Jesus' church. And we ended up last week by imagining what might happen in this city, what might happen in Albuquerque, if we followed in the steps of that bold community in Jerusalem. We imagined what might happen if we became the bold resurrection witnesses that God calls us to be. And we imagined what might happen if paradise, if a taste of the garden broke out here in Albuquerque, and people saw that our relationships with our relationships with God and our relationships with each other 
were the kind of relationships that God always intended for those relationships to be. And we imagined what might happen if all of us who have been healed by Jesus couldn't stop praising God. And we imagined what might happen if we all continually prayed for boldness to proclaim Jesus to the world instead of praying for protection from the world. And we imagined what might happen if our actions and if our behaviors were always driven by God-given boldness instead of concerns about self-preservation. And together we affirmed our desire to be a community of unity here in Albuquerque that never stops living and never stops proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the resurrected Christ. And I hope that gave all of us a vision. It gave all of us a picture of what a transformation would be possible in this city if we, transformed disciples of Jesus, lived the resurrection like we're called to live. And today, as we go through the rest of this lesson, I want us to keep that vision. I want us to keep that picture of what's possible in Albuquerque as we move ahead into the next chapter of God's story. I want us to keep that vision and that picture in mind because this next chapter really in many ways is a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale of what might happen if our lights begin to dim. So we will look at the early church and we'll look at the dimming of their lights. And the dimming of the lights of the early Christians can't be traced to any one factor. There are many factors that came into play. It was a series of events and a series of circumstances that contributed to these once bold lights starting to fade. And the triggering event in that series of events was the death of Stephen. The death of Stephen who was a bold light for Jesus Christ. Stephen died at the hands of an angry mob that violently reacted to his bold proclamation of the resurrected Jesus Christ. We read in Acts chapter 8 that the day Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and scattered throughout Samaria. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And in many ways, this story is a great example of God bringing something good out of a tragedy. Stephen stoning triggered persecution against Christians, which led to disciples scattering throughout the region. But they didn't just scatter throughout the region. They took the gospel with them, and they proclaimed the gospel, and the light of the church was spread through an ever larger area, and new communities of believers sprung out throughout the region And new opportunities to be God's light to the nations were realized. But something else also began to happen as these believers were dispersed. Time was passing. And they were further and further removed from the events of the cross. And they were further and further removed from the events at Pentecost. And they were also facing increasing persecution. Persecution for identifying themselves as Christians. And we also see that false teachers were causing tension within the church, especially tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And maybe most tellingly, these Christians were also separated from their leaders. They were separated from the apostles physically. They were separated from their spiritual fathers. And as a result, their distinctive lights, their distinctive lights to the nations began to give way to the darkness 
of the nations. And as we read through our Bibles and we read the letters that were written by Paul and Peter and James and John, the letters that were written to these scattered churches, we can hear their deep concern about what is happening to the believers in many of those churches. They're very concerned about what's happening to God's new lights to the nations. And the reason they're concerned is because rather than shining God's light into the darkness of the world around them, these Christians were instead choosing to camouflage their lights. To use Jesus' image, they were putting their lights under a basket. And they were doing that so they would be indistinguishable from the darkness around them. Another way to put it is they were beginning to look and sound and act just like everybody else. To use Paul's language, these communities of transformed Christians, these communities of changed, converted people were now conforming. They were adapting. They were blending into the darkness around them. And that's a problem. That's a problem because they were called to be God's light to the darkness and instead they're choosing to hide that light from the dark world that's desperately in need of God's light. And that's a problem. It's a problem because if their lights aren't shining into the darkness, God isn't being glorified by their resurrection lives. And if God isn't being glorified by their resurrection lives, new people aren't being attracted to their lights And new lights aren't being made to shine God's light into the dark world around them. These are problems. These are first century problems that were facing the Christians then. But they're not just first century problems. They're also 21st century problems. They sound an awful lot like the problems that are facing us today. See, if we are choosing to camouflage our lights, that's also a problem. If we're conforming to the darkness instead of being transformed into Jesus' image, that's also a problem. And if we aren't shining God's light into the darkness around us, he isn't being glorified now. And new people aren't being attracted to his light and new lights aren't being made. And that's a problem. That's a 21st century problem. So what do these men do? What do these letter writers do? These are great leaders of the church and they are physically separated from their children, from their spiritual children. So these spiritual fathers who weren't able to be physically present, physically present to to remind and exhort and encourage, what did they do? They did what they could do. They wrote letters to the churches. Some of these letters were very specific letters to specific churches about specific problems. We need to understand that what would have happened in their assemblies, those letters would have been read and reread and reread over and over again to see what Paul had to say, to see what Peter had to say, to see what John had to say. But there are also letters that were very general letters that were written to the churches, not to a church. And those letters would have been passed around from church to church, from town to town. And they would have been read in the assemblies and read again in the assemblies and read again in the assemblies, wanting to know what these great spiritual fathers had to say to them. So these are the letters that we have preserved for us, and they speak to us as well. We should be reading them and reading them again and reading them again to see what those spiritual fathers have to say to us. 
And these spiritual fathers, the letter writers, are very concerned that these Christians aren't being the lights that they should be. So they call them back to what they once were, call them back to who they were called to be, call them back to their life as lights to the nations. And they do the same thing for us. These letters call us back to what we should be, also lights to the nations. And to call their dear children back and to call us back, the spiritual fathers remind them of their baptism. They remind them of the time that they made the choice to put off their old lives, their old lives of darkness, and put on Jesus and live as children of the light. And they remind us in the same way. They remind us of our baptism when we put off our darkness and we put on Jesus Christ and chose to live as children of light. Listen to Paul's reminder to the churches in Galatia and also a reminder to the churches in Albuquerque. In Galatians 3 and 26, he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. We often use this scripture when we're talking about unity, and I have no problem with that. It's a good scripture to talk about unity. But this scripture is really about identity. It's an identity passage. It's a reminder about who we became when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. It reminds us that we put him on. We clothed ourselves with Jesus. We wrapped ourselves in Jesus. And that wasn't something that was done to modify who we were. It wasn't to add an accessory to the clothing that we were already wearing, but it was to completely change us. It was to dramatically transform our identity. See, when we emerged from the water, Jesus became our identity and he became our only identity. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was baptized, I went into the water as a male and I emerged as a Christian. I went into the water as a lane and I emerged as a Christian. I went into the water as an American and I emerged as a Christian. See, Christian doesn't modify who we are. Christian isn't an adjective in our lives. I'm not a Christian man. I'm not a Christian father. I'm not a Christian husband. I'm not a Christian American. I'm just a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be a man, who happens to be a father, who happens to be a husband, who happens to be an American. But my identity and my only identity is I am a Christian. And Paul doesn't picture that at all as being clothed in Christ as a means to somehow blend into our surroundings. In his letter to the church in Rome, he tells us that our identity requires us to put aside darkness and put on the armor of light. Think about that image for a second. Put on the armor of light. I mean, if you really want to draw attention to yourself, dress in armor of light and walk around. You won't blend into the to the people around you. The picture that we should have is that of people putting on Jesus Christ, having a distinctive identity, but a distinctive identity that gives them protection, gives them armor, armor of light. 
When we clothe ourselves with Jesus, when we take on Jesus as our identity, it gives us spiritual protection that can only come from Jesus Christ. Being clothed with Jesus gives us true protection. It doesn't protect us from the rocks that killed Stephen, but it protects us from Satan, it protects us from evil, it protects us from darkness. And it does that because only Jesus' light can defeat Satan's darkness. But we also have to realize that we can't expect Jesus' protection if we don't remain wrapped up in him, if we don't remain clothed with him, if we don't continue to be who we were called to be, who we were baptized to be. We are people who chose the light of Jesus' resurrection over the darkness of death. That's who we are. So the choice in the first century and the choice in the 21st century is between living resurrection lives and having a resurrection identity, or we can choose to go back to who we used to be and once more live in the darkness. The question for the first century Christians and the question for us as 21st century Christians is this. Are we going to live outside the tomb in the light, or are we going to choose to go back in the tomb and live in darkness? Paul put it this way in his letter to the Colossians, Chapter 3, this is going to be a fairly lengthy passage, but it's an important passage. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, Paul is comparing life outside the tomb, resurrected life, to life inside the tomb, 
back inside the tomb, which is a life in darkness. And the life that we're called to is a life where our hearts and our minds, where our emotions and our thoughts are with Jesus Christ, where he is our focus. A life where we seek to know him and where we seek to please him. A life where we esteem him above all others and where we love him more than all others because he is the Lord and master of our hearts and he's the Lord and master of our minds. And when we live outside the tomb, Jesus is our identity. Our identities are indistinguishable from Jesus' identity. As Paul put it, our lives are hidden with Christ. When you look at us, you see Jesus. He is our life and our life is his. That's the life that we're called to. And when we live resurrected lives, we leave behind, we discard our old selves. And we put on new selves that look progressively more and more like Jesus. Because we're constantly being renewed by him into our new identities. This life outside the tomb isn't an alternative identity. It's our new identity. It's our only identity. And our old identity was discarded in the water. We left it behind in the water. We now live this resurrection identity in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We wear different clothes. We now wear resurrection clothes. And those clothes look just like Jesus Christ. They're clothes of light that lead to eternal life. We're called out of the tomb to live in the clothes of compassion. Clothes of kindness and humility. Gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, unity, peace, thankfulness. We need to remember that these are clothes. They're not a costume. They're our identity. They're who we are because we are clothed with Jesus Christ. But I think we all know from personal experience that the tomb and darkness keep calling us back to what we once were. They keep calling us back to be prisoners of sin and prisoners of our own sinful and evil desires. See, we're just like the first century Christians. We're tempted to rummage around and find our old clothes and slip back into them. We're tempted to find those old chains that used to bind us and put them back on us. We're tempted to live the life that we were called out of. And Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go back to living with your heart and mind, with your emotions and thoughts constantly on yourself. Don't do it. Don't go back to living where you and your desires are your sole focus. Don't go back to living a life that's all about pleasing you, where you place yourself above all others and where you are the Lord and master of your own life. Paul says, don't do it. He says, don't do it. Don't go back to living lives that are indistinguishable from the darkness because you have called to be light. He says, don't do it. Don't discard the new you that emerged from the water clothed in Jesus' light. Don't do it. Don't put back on your old self that will progressively degenerate to look more and more like the dark world around you. Don't do it. 
Paul says, don't put back on those burial clothes that you discarded in the water. Don't put back on the clothes that separate you from Jesus, that separate you from the light, that separate you from eternal life. Don't do it. Don't put on those burial clothes of sexual immorality, of impurity, of lust, of evil desires, of greed and anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. Don't do it. Don't go back to the darkness. That's Paul's plea in the first century, and it's his plea today. Don't do it. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, we are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God that we may declare his praises and be called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. And so we see God in his story constantly call his people out of the darkness and back into light. And God's calling us out of darkness and back into his life. That's God's story and it's our story. God has called us out of darkness He's called us into his glorious light. And I want you to know that I think this is a very urgent and very personal message for Netherwood Park. It's a very urgent and very personal message for Netherwood Park as a whole, but it's also a very urgent and very personal message for us as individuals, for me and for you, for us individually. And the reason I think it's very urgent is because I know that I really struggle with living a resurrection life that shines God's light into the darkness around me. And I want you to know that I see that struggle in you as well. It's a problem. And we need to understand that we can't hide behind the church and act as if our individual lights don't matter because our individual lights do matter. When Jesus declared, you are the light of the world, he was talking to the collective group, but he was talking to individuals. He was talking to you, and he was talking to me. Individually, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And we, each of us, are either shining God's light into the dark world around us, or we're choosing to blend in with the darkness of the world around us. And I know that I feel in myself, I see in myself, I see in us the strong desire to blend in with the surroundings, the strong desire to constantly change costumes to fit in into whatever environment we find ourselves. I know I have that problem, and I see that we have that problem. See, we have our church costumes where we look and we sound and we act like church people are supposed to act when we're around other church people. But we also have our work costumes, where we look and sound and act like the work people do when we're around work people. And we have our school costumes, and we have our Saturday night out on the town costumes, and we have our sporting event costumes, and the costumes just go on and on. Different costumes depending on which environment we're in. But Paul reminds us, and I want to remind us, that we're not supposed to have costumes. We're supposed to have clothes. We're supposed to have an identity. 
And that identity is supposed to look just like Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to take that identity and that identity alone to work, to church, to school, out on Saturday night, to the sporting event. Wherever we go, it's the same clothes, it's the same identity. It's not something that we put on and take off, it's who we are. It's our identity, it's our only identity. And if we're living our lives with constantly changing costumes, first of all, I want you to know that's exhausting. Not sure who you are, not sure who you're supposed to be, trying to be different things to different people. But we also need to understand if we're constantly changing costumes, how are we supposed to know which of those costumes is our real identity? But more importantly, how are other people supposed to know which of those costumes is our real identity. And I think the reality is our identities don't change from situation to situation. So if we see that our costumes are constantly changing, we need to face the fact that we're probably not really Christians that are clothed with Christ. What we've become instead is chameleons, just blending into the world, into whatever situation we find ourselves Don't get me wrong, sometimes we talk about these things as if this is a call to take Jesus' light like it's a lightsaber out into the world and, and pronounce hateful judgment on people who are living in darkness. That's not what this is a call to do. That isn't taking Jesus' light into the world. See, instead what we're called to do is we're, we're called to stand in contrast to the dark world around us. And how do we stand in contrast to the world around us? We stand in contrast by looking like Jesus. By taking his compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience, his forgiveness, his love, his unity, his peacefulness, and his thankfulness. That's what we take into the world around us to stand in contrast to the dark world. And we're to take that to church, and we're to take that to work, we're to take that to school, we're to take that out on Saturday night when we're out in the town, we're to take that to the sporting event, we're to take that identity, the identity of Jesus Christ with us wherever we go. See, we stand in contrast to the world to show that there's a different way, that there's a better way, that there's Jesus' way. That's the light, Jesus' light, that we must not camouflage. Otherwise, how will all know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ? How will all be drawn to the light? How will all be called out of darkness and into God's light if we, as children of the light, don't stand in contrast to the light, to the darkness? So I want to close by just asking you to make a commitment with me. And that commitment is to throw away all of those costumes. The work costume, the school costume, the the out-on-the-town costume, the sporting event costume. Throw away all those costumes. And let's clothe ourselves. Let's wrap ourselves in Jesus Christ. Let's make him our identity at all times, in every place, and in every situation. 
Won't you make that commitment with me to live Jesus' identity? It also occurs to me that you may be here and Jesus has never been your identity. Maybe you have never left your old self in the water and you have never put Jesus on as your new identity in baptism. We would love to see you do that. We'd love to see you do that today. We'd love to see you come out of darkness and into Jesus' light. We'd love for you to join us as we strive to be lights to the world around us. We'd love for you to walk with us as we strive to walk in Jesus' identity and take his light to the dark world around us. If you would like to step out of the darkness into the light, won't you let us know? Won't you let us know this morning? We're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song. You can walk to the front and let us know that you want to step into Jesus' light, that you want to leave your old self behind in the water and emerge as a new creation, a new person with Jesus' identity. If you're not comfortable walking to the front, you can go to the back. You can ask for directions to room 104. In that room, you'll find a couple of our elders, godly men, men who are striving to walk in the light, who would love to talk to you about Jesus and how you can also walk in his light. Whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up and we sing this song together.